Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Miguel Marino didn't always want to be a winemaker, despite the fact that his dad, another Miguel, owned his own bodega in Briones. He worked in sports journalism and as a TV screenwriter before finally turning to wine in his late 20s. I caught up with him to chat about Rioja's new generation, single parcel wines, pruning just after a full moon, the impressive quality of his region's whites, and the advantages of clay soils in a warming world. Hi, Miguel, how are you? Hi, Tim. Uh, well, I'm so pleased to be to be here chatting with you. Well, exactly. It's a very important week for me because I'm releasing my Rioja report this week, and obviously you're in it. You're one of the superstars, so <laughs> it's good to be right. talking to you. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're in, I think you're in Briones, aren't you, right now? Yes, yes. You know, since a year ago, we, we actually live in the in the winery, so our commuting is like uh, five steps uh, home from office is quite, quite uh, handy. That's the best ever commute is five steps. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like my, my commute is from my bedroom to my office. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, have, we have the same problem then. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sometimes. Tell us, you know, we're, we're in the middle of winter now, just coming into spring. Are you pruning the vineyards right now? Yes, uh, we we started planning in, in January, and in fact, uh, this week is going is uh, waning moon. You say when a waning moon, yeah. Waning, yes, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's a very good week for for planning. So this, this week we'll try to to speed up a little bit. I think so. It's a full moon, isn't it? Is that a waning moon or a waxing yeah. moon? I know. Yeah, it's, I think it's, 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 full, it's a full moon today. So from tomorrow, it will be the 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 best the best days to to start pruning. It's interesting because I think you're saying that depending on when you prune can have an impact on on the canes. You have the canes that you have in the, in the vineyard. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know this this was explained to me by the Cupani uh, brothers. You know who you know and they are such such fantastic uh, growers. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you seek, what you want, uh, is is better to prune uh, when the the moon is getting smaller or bigger. You know if you want. Uh, for instance, we, we just bought this year a small plot of Biura, uh, an old, very old parcel that was, uh, you know, not to look to look good look after. And we need to reinforce these plants, so it's better that we prune uh, when the moon is uh, going from full moon to to you know to smaller, yeah. uh, because the, the then if you want the the branches to to go thinner and longer, it's better to do it uh, when you're actually reaching. Uh, full moon. Interesting, yeah. So you can actually manipulate the plant depending on when you prune it. It's amazing. Yes, uh, well, it, I mean, uh, you're supposed to, but yes. <laughs> I'm supposed <laughs> this, to. This, yeah. is, this is empiricism, so yeah. you need to, to look it. Listen, I mean, you're, talk to you a little bit about your background. Some people listening to this podcast will, will have known your dad, who sadly died a couple of years ago, um, also Miguel, and he worked in the wine business most of his life, really, and eventually was in sales, and then he set up his own winery in 1994. Was wine a big part of your life when you were a kid? I mean, you know, were you always drinking wine with your dad? Yeah, it was, I mean, trade was a big thing when I was uh, small. I, I, you know, I don't know if you know, but uh, as kids, we... We lived in Logroño, which is the main city in, in, in Rioja, from Monday to Friday. But then the weekends, 
we went to this little town in the south uh, of Logroño, uh, in the in the in the range of mountains, and we had no TV, no telephones, no central heating. So it, you know, it was like living in the Middle Age. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I remember being surrounded by Australians, Canadians, uh, Americans, of course, British, and, and I remember Charles Metcalf singing opera in, in you know, and I was uh, like uh, three or four years old. So Charles is a wine writer. He's also a professional opera singer. Yeah. So yes, and, and so so it was it was a, a very eclectic combination of being uh, you know in this uh, shelter uh, with no facilities, uh, but at the same time with drinking wines from all over. I mean, I didn't drink wine when I was uh, six or eight, or eight, but I remember doing it. And then when my father got a buyer or man of confidence of the Swedish monopoly, you know, he had to taste um, and buy wines uh, from all over Spain. And I remember, you know, he organizing uh, Rivera del Duero tastings uh, with the first pesqueras. And, and I remember Jumilla, I remember Priorat in 92, 93, you know. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was very cool. You know, it was a, it was a great way. So, uh, so vineyards and, and barrels were not a main, a big thing when I was a kid because, you know, my father started his winery in 94. I was 14 by then. But I remember wine um, and people from all over the world uh, in my childhood, yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, your, your international um, education continued because as a teenager, you went to live in the States. You did your final year of high school in America. And I think talking to you, you've always said that was a significant, very significant year for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I, for me it was. I always say it was the most important year in in my life, uh, at, at least in my young, young life, uh, because I I think I became myself in that year. You know, I for 17 years I had lived with my parents, um, like you always know what's coming next, uh, and I needed to breathe. You know, I, I got along very well with with my parents. I was very lucky uh, with them. But uh, I needed to, to breathe, and, and that year I spent a lot of time uh, on my own because, you know, there was no internet uh, by then. Uh, so I was writing letters to friends and family. But I spent a lot of time on my own, and I fully realized that I enjoyed it. Uh, so it, I, when I came back, I was another person. I was, a, I, you know, I, it was a tough experience. Uh, I, I, I think of, of it with a, with a lot of love, and definitely it made it made me what I am. I think. Yeah, so, which is a good thing. It's interesting that you didn't want to be a winemaker, though, to start with. Did you? you went off to study journalism and media at Salamanca University. Was your idea to become a journalist? I hope not. <laughs> yes, yes, I could have told I, you not to do it. <laughs> the money's terrible. Yes, I was a, a fool. Uh, you know, I, since I was 12 or 13, I wanted to be a sports journalist. So, I, I you know, that was uh, my dream. And I went to Salamanca to study. And, and right in the middle of my studies, I, I was offered... Uh, a scholarship in Diario As, which is the main sports uh, paper in, in Madrid. Mm-hmm. And I went there and worked for the summer. And when I finished the, 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 my, my term there, they offered me a job. They offered me to stay. And, and I decided I didn't want to spend my life writing about David Beckham's uh, underwear and uh, <laughs> all of things like that. So it was, it was very frustrating because, you know, my dream was there. I was 20 years old. They offered me to stay. And I said, I don't want to live in Madrid and I don't want to, to spend my life writing, mm-hmm. writing about this. So, so I went back to, to Salamanca, finished my studies, but I already knew I, I didn't want to be what I thought I, I, I wanted. And where did you go next? Did you go back to help your dad in the winery or did you then move to London? Yeah, we, we you know... I, that's what happens when you finish university. It's like a cliff opens in your uh, under your feet, right? Because since you are uh, four years old, you know exactly what you're doing next year, which is the next 
degree, uh, the next grade. Mm -hmm. um, so I was 22. You know, I I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't want to to go to Madrid. I didn't want to, to go back home for sure. And so I decided to go to to London. And it was it was uh, it was uh, funny because uh, it was in London where I really got into wine. I, mm -hmm. I, by, by, you know, by chance, I got a, a job at Fractionet, mm. uh, and then all the people and friends that I made in, in London were somehow working in the wine industry. You know, they work in Old Beans, Majestic. Mm. So, you know, I had French, Italian friends, and every evening we would get and drink wines from all over, and it was great. You know, yeah. uh, those it was days, it, it was fantastic because in those days in in in, in Rioja, you were lucky if you. If you found a bottle from Navarra, mm -hmm. uh, so so living in London and drinking wines from New Zealand and South Africa and, and you know and France, uh, it was it was it was great. It was a great time. And then you you did something. You did a master's degree in wine marketing and business, and you told me once that you hated it, right? So why did you do it? I hated it. I you know so when I was when I was uh, twenty three, I was living in London, and my dad told me, you know, I need help. You know, he had started selling. Or trying to sell his wines, uh, he was going to hire someone. Uh, so I thought it was a good idea uh, to join him. Which, thinking now, it wasn't. It was not a good <laughs> idea. But uh, by then I thought it was. And so I joined him, and and he thought, okay, you should study something about wine. But you know, his 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 career had been always a trade. Um, and he thought the best thing for me, uh, and I agreed was to study marketing and, and sales and, and managing, yeah. and I hated it. I, I did it because I'm a good guy, and, you know, um, once you start, you finish. But uh, I hated it, and I, and I hated my job because, you know, it, it, was, it was so hard, Tim. You know, um, we were a small winery, unknown, making classic wines when everyone was looking for huge wines, you know, with yeah. Parker wines and all that. And it was impossible to sell our wines. And, you know, and I was 23, 24, uh, so much pressure for me. And so for, for seven years, I, 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 I worked there and, and I hated it. I hated wine and my life and everything. <laughs> but it's a good job. You know, but then you decide, you finally decided you, want to, you wanted to make wine, didn't you? Yeah. Not yeah. selling it. So you did another degree. And this time it was a master's in viticulture and, and winemaking. Yeah, and that's right. when your life changed because you met lots of friends who've become um, lifelong friends, really, who were winemakers. So you'd finally decided at 28 you wanted to make it. Yeah. As you want to make wine. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, the thing is that I, I realized that if I was tempted to throw it, you know, I was, I was not happy. So I was tempted to throw everything away, to throw it all away. And I said, okay, if, if I'm going to stay in wine, I, I need to know more about vineyards and winemaking. And, and I told my dad so. So I went back to school while I was still working and had this uh, master's in, in University of Rioja. And it was great because I learned a lot. And more important, I, I, I met uh, very important people for me, uh, like uh, Javier Arizcuren, Maribi. Ernaiz, who is uh, works with Telmo in, in Remedio. Telmo Rodriguez, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then uh, people like uh, Pedro Valda. Uh, through him, I met uh, David González. And for the first time, I, I felt I had my circle of friends in the in the wine world because until until then, uh, I, I I was. I was feeling I was living my my father's life, not my life. You know, yeah. I I had been uh, always dreaming of doing other things. Uh, uh, working abroad um, and, and all that, 
and I was living in Rioja, you know, uh, working with him, uh, and I was following his steps, and I didn't feel I was living my life. So, you know, I, I that year was very important, very important for me. Yeah. But 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 even then, you didn't get a job making wine. You, you went to Madrid again to to become a screenwriter, right? So what yeah. happened there? Did you change uh, your mind again? I blew off. I you know, in, in, I became thirty years old, and I I blew off. I mean, after seven years trying. I, I I had it um, and I I said okay let's you know let's uh, forget about it. Uh, I, I studied journalism and I'm gonna be a, a screenwriter. So I went to Madrid yeah and I I wrote for TV. But then again it was exactly ten years after my first attempt to to live in Madrid and it happened the same. You know I had a good job and it was good to see how TV works and all that. But, you know, I, ever since I was a kid, I, I've always been a helpless uh, existentialist. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, my while pregnant, my mom used to read Jean-Paul Sartre, which should mm. not do, you know, no, I think uh, it's dangerous. Um, and I was always, I've always been seeking happiness, but not in a hedonist way, but in a very existentialist way. I mean, if I'm not happy with, if I don't feel complete, mm. I get depressed. So I was living in Madrid and I felt, am I going to spend my life living in this huge city and uh, writing soap operas? So, <laughs> so no, I went back to, I went, I went back to Rioja. And, um, but you went to Chile first, didn't you? I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I went back to Rioja and then uh, I decided, let's try wine, but let's try wine in a winemaking way. And, and, and I went to Chile. Yeah, I went to to make a harvest uh, at Perez Cruz in, in Maipo. And it was great. It was great. It was, uh, you know, for three months, I was completely focused on winemaking. I was uh, working hard, learning a lot. And, and and I was happy. I was. Those were the happiest three months in, in, in years for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back from, from, from Chile, I decided that that was what I was going to be making in life, you know. And, then, and, then, and then you got a job, didn't you, with Gomez Cruzado. You talked about David Gonzalez yeah. and, and he gave you a job as the cellar master. Yeah? I just wonder what, what you learned from him because I get the impression he was a big influence on your winemaking style, wasn't he? Yeah, not, not only in, in my in my winemaking, winemaking style, also in, in my life. I mean, David is a, it's a crucial person for me because uh, he he gave me a lot of confidence uh, you know he 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 had been just appointed general manager of gomez cruzado and he needed someone of his entire confidence in the in the winery and he's not someone that is going to be on your back you know uh, for the whole day he he i think he gave me the grounds to 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 grow and working with uh, with him for four years were was fantastic I, I, you know david comes from from he had as a young guy, he had been working for uh, El Coto, for Felix Solis, so, you know, huge wineries, industry wineries. Mm-hmm. So he knows the enology, he knows the protocols, mm-hmm. but then he's changed his career into more vineyards and, and he has the sensibility to, to make beautiful wines. And it's funny because his wines and my wines are very different. I think uh, what he made was give me the, the foundations to... to, to to have my own personality, mm. um, I, I, I'll always be thankful to, to David. You know? Yeah, that, I think those, that's extremely important, isn't it? Um, mm. I mean, in, in sixteen, you got more involved with your dad's winery again. I think on the winemaking side, and the following year, two thousand seventeen, you and your partner Erica, you joined your dad 
full time. I just wonder, what was it like going back there? And do you and your dad have very different ideas about the stars of wine you wanted to make? Well, you, you know, my dad was very generous. Uh, he he told me he he was growing old. He he told me that uh, he thought that I could be happier uh, now. The, the winery was working much better than than when I first joined him uh, as a as a young guy. And and in fact, he he never reproached me to having left. In, in the opposite, he told me he had been thinking how difficult it was for me to 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 do what I did when I was a, a young guy. And so he, he told me, you know, please come back. You, you can change everything. You can even change the name if you want. You know, it's, it's funny because I'm also named Miguel. So Miguel Merino, yeah. I wasn't going, I wasn't going to, to change it. And he knew it. But he told me, uh, you know, come. The wine is selling the wines. Just come and improve the wines. Focus on that, you know. I mean, so it was, it was, uh, it was you couldn't say no. Mm. And, and the good thing is that, uh, you know, I have already have, you know, in that moment, I had my my circle of friends. I have my own personality. I didn't feel I was following his his life. I I, I already felt I was living my life, and it's I think it's very important uh, to work in your in your head. You know, uh, and it's I, I always say what the, what it was hell for me for seven years now is paradise. So and it's the same place. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this change of style in a minute, maybe, and what you've changed. But just tell us first of all about about Briones, because you're the bodega. You live in Briones. You're based in Briones, and the grapes you get are pretty much. I think they're all from Briones, aren't they? Just, just tell us what makes Briones unique. I mean, because you own vineyards and you also buy grapes, don't you? How different yeah. is Briones from the other side of the river, what's known as the Sonsiera, which is mostly the Rioja Alavesa and a little bit of Rioja Alta? How different is it? Yeah, I, it, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, from the day one, my father. Uh, decided that uh, this art project was going to be 100% Briones. Mm. Uh, not only because he thought this was the best town, which he, he thought, but but because he knew we needed to be authentic if we wanted to succeed. And I think that was very important. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, we started with zero vineyards. Uh, now, uh, now we own eight hectares and we control six. We buy grapes from six to from four suppliers. And... Briones compared to Sonsierra, I mean, Sonsierra is mainly, I mean, we share the same climate, you know, uh, San Vicente, La Bastida, Briones have the same climate, uh, but uh, Sonsierra uh, is mainly poor limestone soils. Uh, if you take La Guardia to Briñas, uh, it's mainly that. Uh, and Briones is uh, more clay. I mean, there is a huge, huge uh, diversity of soils in Briones. Uh, but mainly, you know, it's a limestone, limestone with more clay. Mm. If you compare the wines, uh, San Vicente or La Bastida or, or La Guardia, you know, those tempranillos from the very, very beginning, it's, you know, this floral bloom of fruit, which we we'll never get in Briones. I mean, young wines in Briones are not half as good as the wines in Avalos uh, mm. or San Vicente or, or La Guardia. Mm. Uh, but we have more structure, we have lower pH, more acidity, and we have fresher wines, and 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 it's funny because uh, we harvest much later than they do in in San Vicente or or La Bastida. You know, I have friends who have vineyards in San Vicente and Briones, and and they harvest everything in San Vicente, and then they start harvesting in Briones. So so uh, the wines in Briones are a, a bit more structured, less appealing when young, but mm. with a very long very long life, I think. Interesting, and a lot of the Sonsierra faces. South, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and we face uh, well, depends a bit on the hill you are or the slope, 
but we have uh, we have a higher uh, diversity of uh, sun exposures to it. I think, yeah. Yeah, no, no, interesting. Um, just tell us, you've got two lines at Miguel Marina. You've got a classic line, which is the line that your dad established, really, which has got a reserve and a ground reserve, so the classic classic styles, really. Um, and you've got a more modern one. Just tell us how, how they differ, because I kind of think, in a way, they're moving a bit closer together on there as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a, I think that was a, what my dad was afraid of, uh, you know, that uh, I will change too much the, the classic line, but which we've, I mean, when, when, when we came... Uh, to, when we joined him, uh, all our efforts were focused on on creating and then improving the the new the new wines. Uh, um, and, you know, we didn't change much things about the classic line. Of course, you know, you you ferment in a bit in a different way. I think we are a bit lighter fermenting, uh, even with the classic line. And in my opinion, we we've just got a bit more precise. In with the wines, uh, the idea is to keep these two lines quite different. But of course, you know, it's a uh, you know the winemaker has changed, so you know it, there are some changes. Yes, but uh, yeah, and I suppose I want to ask you in a way just how I mean, you're, I think I think of your winemaking style as being very elegant you know you don't lose a lot of wood you don't lose a lot of extraction i think despite what you said about briones making more powerful wines i don't think your wines are, are, are super powerful in style i think they're still very elegant would you say that's a good description of your winemaking style that's yeah that's what we try i mean uh, as i said uh, we are in briones which always gives you a lot of stru- structure you know it's a bit like a pomar in in, in coteau uh, and we work mainly with all vineyards which uh, usually mean low yielding. So if we are not gentle while fermenting, we can end up having uh, huge wines, which we don't want. So we know that the wines are going to be structured uh, without uh, trying too hard. And that, that's what we try. We try to be very subtle, very gentle at, at the winemaking and also at the amount of new oak and the cooper that we work with, you know, because uh, that, I mean, it's essential with the new line, with the uh, vineyard wines, but also for uh, Reserva, Gran Reserva, we, we are trying to, to be more gentle. You've got these three amazing single vineyard wines, La Quinta Cruz, La Insula, and La Loma. Can you just tell us about the difference between them in terms of the grape varieties you use and a little bit about the styles of them maybe and, and the vineyard sources? Yeah. I, what, what I really think is that if you're going to uh, uh, release a single vineyard wine, there must be a huge reason for it. Uh, it, it the wine has to be different. It has to be unique because otherwise it's a bit pointless to make a single vineyard wine. Uh, La Quinta Cruz and La Insula are quite unique because, you know, La Quinta Cruz is 100% Mazuelo in Rioja Alta, which is very hard to find. Uh, the, the most important thing here is the combination of uh, Mazuelo, which is a Mediterranean grape, planted on a very alluvial, poor soil, what we call cascajo, you know, sandy and pebbly. And then uh, La Insula, it's... Uh, tiny little vineyard of ungrafted plants of garnacha mm. all the way from, from the beginning of the 20th century, mm. are planted on a sandbank, which is very, very unusual also here in Rioja Alta. So those two wines are unique uh, uh, for sure. And then La Loma for us is our most special uh, vineyard, uh, and not only the most special, but also the best. Um, it's La Loma is right the place where the limestone soils from San Sierra meet the ferric clay soils of uh, the south part of Rioja Alta, you know, the, the uh, Bañares, uh, Castañares, uh, Santo Domingo. 
So it's incredible because you stand in La Loma, you look south and the, the soil is red, you look north and the soil is yellow. And, and in fact, it's, it's very funny. We, we, last year, we bought the plot uh, right next to La Loma, mm-hmm. which, is, uh, which was used, used for cereal. And we analyzed the soil and it's so different to La Loma. And it's right no. beside. No. Yeah, it's uh, one meter away. And it's another <laughs> soil. It's much more uh, limestone, much more calcareous uh, than, than La Loma. Yeah. It's interesting that you work without herbicides and pesticides, don't you? Across the 36 plots. I, I just wonder, are you going to go organic? I, I don't think there is an alternative. I mean, I think that if you work in agriculture in Europe and if you're not organic or planning to become organic, you, you're going to be facing difficult times uh, because uh, there, is, there, is no, there is not an alternative. I mean, uh, not only because authorities, uh, importers, customers and, and, and journalists demand it, but also because it's, because it's right and it's better. It's more work, but it's true that it's uh, more work. You know, it's much more work to be uh, to work without the herbicides than to do. Uh, so you need to to if, if they're gonna pay your grapes at seventy cents, you you can't uh, not use herbicides. But for us, uh, yes. And, and in fact, last year half of our vineyards were already treated uh, organic. Uh, we're gonna do so for three or four years and see how it goes. We also need to learn, you know, because uh, you don't learn in one day, in one year. Uh, but yes, the answer is absolutely yes. We are planning to go organic. And, and do you pay a little bit more to your growers uh, to farm organically? Yes. I mean, uh, we, we the, the kilo that we pay less in, I mean, we work only with four growers, which are neighbors and friends, uh, they sell to us the, the grapes from the oldest vineyards, and then they take the average grapes to big wineries. And the one we pay less is 30 cents more expensive than, than what they receive in, in big wineries. Which would be, what, 70 cents a kilo, would it? Yeah, so we pay 1 euro 10, 1 euro 20 uh, yeah. minimum. I, I, because we can, and because I, we think it's worth, and you know, mm. all vineyards, no herbicides, we you need to you need to pay for that. Mm. T- tell us a little bit about regions uh, outside Rioja. I just wonder which regions have had the most influence on you. It's it, I think it's hard to to point uh, out one. Uh, I, I'd like to say Burgundy, but I'm not so rich, so <laughs> no, <laughs> can't afford it. <laughs> no, no, I cannot. <laughs> I, I I think in general terms, I like uh, cool. Um, wines more than uh, warm wines, so I, I really like the the wines from uh, from Loire, the, the Cabernet Franc from Loire. Or lately, I'm drinking a lot from the northern Italy. You know, uh, I, I really like uh, Barolos and, yeah. and Alba, Lange, um, and then in, in a bit of everything really. And inside Spain, I, I think uh, in the last years I really like what was going on in Galicia, Canary Islands, but also in. In you know in in, in Jumilla or Rivera del Duero, I think Rivera del Duero is, is also uh, changing for good. Uh, and yeah. Many small projects, and, and we are we are drinking that as well. It's I, I think it's more much more uh, um, winemaking styles that that influence yeah. than, than actually regions. I think I, think I agree with you really. Uh, um, to, to, let's talk a bit more about Rioja because you know um, Rioja is not perceived by a lot of people as a fine wine area. There are fine wines within it, but it sells a lot of wine at cheap prices. Does it almost make sense to talk about two Riochas, a kind of industrial Rioja producing cheap wines for supermarkets and the kind of things that you guys are doing and, and your friends, your generation? Absolutely. Uh, I, I think we have a problem on the low end 
but not 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 especially on an oak fruity young wines, you know, uh, especially with uh, cheap reservas and, and grand reservas, which I think they they do so much harm to mm. to to the to the region and to the, our brands. Mm. Um, and and yes, there, there are two regards. It, it's, it's true that it's a bit unfair, you know, because we have a winery that employs five people, including my wife and, and me, and we work 14 hectares, you know, so we, we, we are not important to the region. You have uh, uh, wineries that uh, maybe they're hiding 100 people and, and you know, and, and they are very essential for, for the wealth of, of the region. Um, but I think we all, we all need a way to, to, you know, to coexist. I, I think it's very important. I, I, I'm not going to say that everyone has to be a vigneron, you know, because mm. that's impossible. Mm. But I think that uh, we all need to respect uh, each other's works and, and to grow in the same direction, because otherwise we're going we're gonna to be suffering in the next years. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, what, what, what do you think of the, the Vineda Singularis category? Because you, it was introduced in 2017. You haven't made any of your wines. Yeah. Would you rather see a, a system a bit like a Burgundian system of Grand Cru, Premier Cru, village wines, regional wines? I mean, what do you think of, of that as a model for Rioja? You know, I, I think with Viñedo Singulares, you, you know the, the ability of uh, capitalism to subsume uh, every movement against capitalism. And I think uh, uh, small growers, we saw uh, Viñedo Singular as that, as a reaction by Consejo Regulador to our demands. But at the same time, I think we all behave a bit like teenagers, you know, like we want this, we want this. And then they give it and it's like, oh, no, it sucks. We don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest, I think it's been a bit like that. Uh, uh, I think the problem with Vineos Singulares is that uh, if we spend a lot of money on promotion, on promoting them, and if the wines are not the best mm. in Rioja, uh, and you know, people go and, and, and attend to these tastings, and they walk out saying, "Well, you know, Top Rioja is not so." So, so we must be sure that Vinedo uh, Singular is not only a special vineyard, but also great wines. I think it's important. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, I'm very happy to see Rioja walking towards uh, terroir and vineyards. I mean, for for us, it's for us is is great, and we completely agree on that. But I, I think it's hard to 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 see how we can classify, you know, who, who is going to classify the, the vineyards and decide uh, what's a Grand Cru, what's a Premier Cru, because, you know, yes, we don't have a Napoleon III now uh, around. Should no, I volunteer? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you, you are doing it. And, 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 you know, and I don't know anyone that knows Rioja better than you. I mean, you know Rioja on a general perspective better than any of us because you know everything. Uh, and of course you could do it, but uh, the thing is that whatever you say is Grand Cru, we, we will agree, and whatever you say is not, uh, they will not agree. So uh, that's the problem. It's very true, isn't it? Just talk a bit more about your dad, because your dad was a very special person to me and to, to many people who loved him dearly, and we all miss him a lot. Just what did you learn most from, from Miguel about wine and life? I mean, I mean, uh, from a company point of view, uh, I mean, wine, wine point of view, uh, to have, I think, the most important thing I learned from him was to have a personality, you know, because... Uh, I I remember when I was younger and you know we were making classic wines and nobody wanted classic wines and I tried to persuade him to to change and he told me you know you keep a route you keep a, cor a course right and sometimes the wind will help sometimes it won't but you keep your your north 
And I think that was very, uh, very important. You know, I, 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 I think of that a lot. You know, it's like now, now we are, we are, I think now we have the win helping, but I'm sure there'll be times where, you know, it'll be difficult and we must keep our, our way. And from a personal uh, point of view, uh, I think I wish I, I, I had learned more from him because uh, he was such a, an optimistic guy, you know, and, yeah. I remember my problems did not affect him. I think his antidote to was uh, humor. You know, his sense of yeah, humor was definitely was yeah. uh, so so uh, huge that uh, <laughs> it was bigger than any problem. And it doesn't. I mean, I, I have a sense of humor, but I'm not a, such an optimistic person. I, I, I wish I, I I was more like like he was. <laughs> Probably right. I mean, you're part of this amazing group of young winemakers called the, the Martis of wine. Martis yes. being <laughs> Tuesday, and you meet on a Tuesday and you taste wines blind and you chat together. And I've, I've always enjoyed spending time with you. I mean, how important is that group both to you and, and to Rioja? Because you're very supportive of each other, and you've all kind of grown together, haven't you? It's it's great because you know when 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 we joined back my dad Eric and I we decided to to leave the city and 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 and, and come to live to Rioja Alta because we we thought if we are going to be winemakers and we want to live our lives as winemakers we must do it with all our senses and you can't do that in the city in my opinion and but we were alone and all of a sudden these guys uh, and girls uh, you know welcome us and, and introduce us to to their to their lives and these guys are fifth sixth you know tenth generation of growers so they know everything about viticulture which it wasn't my it wasn't my my occasion it wasn't my 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 thing and i've learned so much from them i i still this morning I was talking to Miguel, uh, discussing about planning. This is Miguel Aguiluz. Uh, and yesterday I was Aguiluz from Cupani. And, yeah. you know, and two, two days ago I was uh, tasting uh, a Barolo with uh, Jose to see what we, we thought. Jose Gil. Yeah, yeah, Jose Gil. Yeah. And, and the thing is that that's it. I mean, you know, we, we are so happy when any of us gets a success and we, we help each other, not only with Master of Wine, you know, we, 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 this extends to Arturo from Artuque or Tom or uh, Sandra Tom from, from Exopto yeah. and Sandra Bravo from Tolonio. And yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a bigger thing than that. It's, it's, it's true that my close uh, group is a Masters of Wine and it's, it's great. We share problems, we share success and we share importers and, and everything. Are we seeing more projects from younger people, do you think, in Rioja? I hope so. We yeah. we need it. Uh, you know, yeah. we need it. I, I, I think the most important thing, Tim, is that now I, I've been thinking about, about it a lot lately. I think that maybe we were not ready as a region to be as complex as we are now. I, you know, I, I think that maybe it was a good thing that we were so easy to understand in one minute. People knew all you need to know about Rioja. You know, three three regions, three categories. Uh, because you know, we, Spain was uh, Europe's Iran, and and, and 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 this is changing. You know, we, I think the the the, the country is, has evolved uh, so much. I think the region has evolved so much, and now, by on a very natural way, you know, all this complexity because Rioja is a very complex and diverse region, as you know. I think all this is coming. And we are also able to go out and, and, and sell it. Mm. And also people are ready to, to, to 
understand the complexity of Rioja. And now I think we cannot stop. That's the that's the point. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's great because there's a lot of talk about crisis at the moment. Lots of unsold wine, low grape and wine prices. You know, the, the possibility of a new denomination with the Vinyelos de Alava in the Basque country, which may break away. How do you think things are going to develop over over the next decade? Are you feeling positive? Well, you know, with Viñedos Singular, uh, sorry, with Viñedos de Alaba, um, it's incredible because, uh, you know, we are 45 million people in Spain, so it's impossible that we get to agreements. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know we, we need to, to pay some, some citizens to, to do the job, to get to agreements. And instead of doing that, you know, they, they don't do the job and then they throw us against each other. Um, and I think that Piñedos de Alaba is, uh, is uh, encouraged by the Basque politicians, which, mm. by the way, are probably the best politicians in, in, in Spain. You know, they've mm. done a great job with the Basque country in the last 20 years. But I think they are playing with the future of, of those wineries because mm. you know how difficult it is and how long it takes to, to create a name in the wine world. Mm. Um, and I think that inside Rioja, I mean, you know, I disagree with Consejo Regulador in mm. all so many ways, mm. but... Uh, but I think inside Rioja, uh, you can be small, you can be authentic, you can sell your wines on a very decent uh, prices, and there is a way out in, in Rioja. And, and, you know, I think Viñedos de, de Alaba, uh, if they're lucky, they're going to have 15, 20 very difficult years, mm. at least. And, you know, I don't know if, if all the wineries are going to be able to, to go through, uh, because, you know, it's... Uh, Making carbonic maceration wines and selling your wines in the past country, it's a model of business from the 1940s, and I don't think it's viable for, for too long. So mm. so I'm a bit, a bit angry with that because I think there are politicians mm. are playing with the future yeah. of, of, of winemakers. There. Because they won't be able to do both Vinos de Alava and Rioja. They'll have to choose between the two, right? Yes. I mean, uh, it's a still... A bit blurry, you know, mm. uh, but of course, Consejo Dios y Rioja is not going to put things easy for for, mm. for them, as, as they can understand. So I think that on the low end, uh, we're going to have a lot of trouble. And I think on the high end, uh, more and more diversity and complexity and small growers. Uh, for me, uh, a big part of the future of, of Rioja, of interest in Rioja, is the, the children of the of the cosecheros, you know, mm. people who used to make uh, carbonic maceration reds and, and sell it uh, in, you know, in uh, 100 kilometers uh, yeah. around. And they have great vineyards. Uh, their children are studying, traveling, like Jose Gil, like Ricardo Fernandez from Abeica. I think they, Abel Mendoza before, before all of us. And I think that those are the models. You know, I think that's the way to, to, to go if you are a, a small owner in, in, in our region. Yeah. Tell me a last thing. I mean, you've got a young family. Um, you got busy running the winery, even though you live above the above the, the bodega. <laughs> uh, what do you do to 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 escape from wine? Do you still write? Do you still like writing? Because you're a journalist and you're a screenwriter. Um, do you like sport? I mean, how how do you get away from it? Yeah. Before I had kids, uh, I think uh, uh, hiking mountains, reading, and traveling were my three hobbies. Uh, now it's a bit more difficult. Uh, but I'm not too concerned because I'm happier than happiest than ever. So, so you know, it's a, uh, and I, I know my, you know, now it's funny because my my eldest daughter Lena, uh, she goes to dance class for uh, two days a week for 45 minutes. So I take her uh, on my running, uh, uh, um, where how do you say clothes. Yeah. So I, I 
I put her in dance, I run for 42 minutes, and then I pick her up and, and come home. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the time I have, you know. That sounds good. Uh, anyway, and you're making better wines than ever, and so it's fantastic. Lovely yeah. to talk to you uh, in the week of the publication of my Rilke report. We'll all see how you do later this week. Uh, Miguel, so great to talk to you, and see you soon. See you soon. Ciao. Miguel really is one of the young superstars of Rioja right now, and I love the clarity of his winemaking and thought. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Stephanie O'Toole from Mount Horrocks in Australia's Clare Valley. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at timatkin, and on Instagram, at timatkinmw. See you next week.